to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on Nightmare Time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm Kim. I'm John. And this week, we've gone into the mind of Stephen King on drugs. <laughs> That's right. This is your King on Drugs. We are talking about Maximum Overdrive, a movie fueled by cocaine, and Dreamcatcher, a book fueled by prescription pain pills. Neither of these neither of these movies would exist without the help of drugs, and that's what we're here to talk about today on the podcast. The help of? Okay, maybe maybe help of is not the the best way to describe it, but it's Reaper Madness this month at Nightmare on Film Street, both the podcast and the website. We are talking about movies uh, that either feature or are, are thanks to drugs, and also movies that feature the Grim Reaper. Not, like, doesn't have to fit both criteria, because that would be nearly impossible. It's one movie, and technically, well, it's it's Bill and Ted's bogus <laughs> journey, but also they don't really do drugs, so. They're just stoner in type. <laughs> yes, yeah, they're just dumb. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> Sweethearted boys, though. <laughs> Such kind boys. Before we get into it, though, Kim, what's keeping you creepy this week? The day this episode drops, we are going to be celebrating the start of Panic Fest. The Kansas City Festival is doing part virtual, part on location, and Nightmare on Film Street is getting down with the festivities. We're going to be doing some fun intros, Q&As, and we've got some fun side panels. If you saw the fun little teaser we did on April Fool's Day, which wasn't a fool, it was an actual teaser. We probably should have picked a different day. No, I think, I think, I think it's great. Because uh... <laughs> people are going to be like, they made puppets. For a, for a gag? For a day? For a single day. But yeah, puppets, not a gag, not a gag. Well, kind of a gag, but a real gag. We're going to be doing some fun puppet stuff in the future, and we might just pop up at Panic Fest in our fuzzy new alter egos? I don't know. (laughs) We're puppets right now. I hate to I hate to to break the spell, but we've always been puppets. We only puppet. We only record the podcast as puppets. This is how it's always been. I was trying to think of a way to do like the shining we've always been puppets, but there's... we've always been puppets. But I don't know if it would translate and now I've overexplained it. You've <laughs> always been the puppet here. So. <laughs> but yeah, join us at Panic Fest. We actually have a coupon with them if you want to grab a virtual pass. It is Fiend 20. It'll get you 20% off the virtual pass, which will get you access to all of the virtual screenings, the gather event space, which we're definitely going to be popping up in, and all of the fun virtual stuff they have happening. Like, there's going to be horror trivia and some other fun stuff. So we're probably going to be at all of them. (laughs) So, yeah, come. Hang out with us. Watch some movies. It's going to be great. Virtual stuff on our end, though, we're going to be hosting a live watch party with the Fiend Club at nofspodcast.com slash Fiend Club. We're ringing in Reaper Madness Month. We're watching Scary Movie, which I'm sure has not aged well. (laughs) 
Butthead's features a giant marijuana plant rolling up one of the Wayne's brothers into a huge joint and smoking him till he dies. Which I, I feel like is, is as on theme as you can get. Right? Yeah. We also have a new Fiend Club tradition that started last weekend. Where You're we're, calling it a tradition it, already. It's a tra- it, We all established it, John. <laughs> it, was, it was stamped in the chat. We're going to be watching an episode of Cop Rock. Uh, Featuring Tony Todd. <laughs> are we going to watch them all out of order? Because I think s- that would be great. We started with Baby Merchant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we started with episode four because we had to hear Baby Merchant. We've, we've just found out that there's an episode episode with Tony Todd, which we'll probably skip to. I'll get a pulse from the room. If they want to just restart again from the beginning, we can do that. Because, surprise. We can watch Baby Merchant again. <laughs> this friggin' cop drama musical from 1992 is a serialized story. Oh, boy. Oh, it's uh, It was really pushed alongside Twin Peaks, and it's just bonkers. Like, I would say weirder than Twin Peaks. But if you haven't heard of it, definitely look up the cop rock trailer or the Baby Merchant song on YouTube because I can guarantee you will want to join us Saturday for the second episode that we sit down to watch. It's fucking insane. And surprise, surprise, like half the cast of RoboCop is in it. I don't know. I don't know why. (laughs) Yeah, really weirdly. It works, though. Uh, It doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of fun to laugh at. That all kicks off Saturday night at 8 p.m. Eastern at nofspodcast.com slash fiendclub. I'm the baby merchant. If you've been living under a 2021 rock, then you're missing out on one of the best nostalgic horrors to land. PG Psycho Goreman. We actually just got our copy of the Very Hunky Boy limited edition Blu-ray DVD CD combo. (laughs) Uh, Only 2,000 of them were made. They're sold out. They came with collector's cards and all sorts of fun stuff. We actually grabbed a second copy because we wanted to give one away to one lucky fiend. So we have kicked off our Very Hunky giveaway. It's it's already open. You can go enter at nofspodcast.com slash very dash hunky dash giveaway. Raven Banner does such a great job putting together limited special edition box sets for movies. Do you remember that one we bought for Bunny the Killer Thing? It was intense. Yeah, it's like six discs for this silly movie (laughs) that's about a man that's been transformed into a giant bunny. Who kills people with his... Yeah, he's, carrot dick. He's got a huge carrot dick, and <laughs> uh, and yeah, it's 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 in English. All the actors, I believe, are Swedish or Finnish who did not know English. The, they but told- it's in English. <laughs> and they, they did it phonetically, so nobody understands what they're saying. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> man, what a blast! PG Psycho Goreman, uh, highlight of the year already. Oh, so good, so good. How it- are you gonna just drop the best movie of the year in like January? Ugh. I'm still riding high on that. We watched it this morning. Like, I'm we the just got. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> so much fun. Perfect movie. You could watch it any time of the day, in any mood. Oh, so good. And the best yes. cheer up movie. Best. Yes. Yeah. And it comes with the CD. You get a Blu ray, DVD, and CD of the soundtrack, which is pretty rad. Like, super 80s, sort of Masters of the Universe style music. <laughs> it's, it's a blast. But yeah, enter to get one of those sold out copies at nofspodcast.com slash very dash hunky dash giveaway but that's enough from us 
Let's start talking about some Stephen King movies that just went off the fucking deep end. Oh boy, this is gonna be a ride. And I think it'll come as no surprise to anybody that's talked with me for more than 20 minutes that Maximum Overdrive is one of my favorite movies oh, of all time. Oh yeah, John, this is your episode. This, <laughs> is, this is for you. <laughs> Man, trucks, ACDZs, shit just blowing up, Emilio Estevez being real weird. <laughs> Should we maybe send it to the episode? Yeah, I guess that's, we we have already recorded it. Why why bother doing it a second time? <laughs> Here's the trailer for Maxim for Stephen King's Maximum Overdrive. Hi, my name is Stephen King. I've written several motion pictures, but I want to tell you about a movie called Maximum Overdrive, which is the first one I've directed. Wow. What in the dickens is going on around here? A lot of people have directed Stephen King novels and stories. And I finally decided if you want something done right, you ought to do it yourself. Who was driving it? I don't know. It was my first picture as a director. And you know something? I sort of enjoyed it. What is going on? I don't know! I just wanted someone to do Stephen King right. You want a war? You got one. I just want to get the hell out of here. So come and spend some time with me and my friends at the Dixie Boy. Spend some time in the dark. Please don't let me in the dark. I'm gonna scare the hell out of you. And that's a promise. You're gonna get us in an awful lot of trouble, man. We already in trouble. Maximum terror. Jesus coming and he is. Maximum king. Maybe tomorrow will be our world again. Dino De Laurentiis presents Stephen King's. Maximum Overdrive. Maximum Overdrive from 1986 is currently sitting at a 5.5 out of 10 on IMDb, 15% on Rotten Tomatoes, 24% on Metacritic, and a stellar perfect 5 out of 5 on Letterboxd. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry, that's... My rating on Letterboxd, the community of Letterboxd, uh, has graded Maximum Overdrive a 2.6 out of 5. It's probably also worth noting that this is the only movie Stephen King has directed of his own work, and also lists it as the worst adapted of his material. Himself? Himself. I love that. He hates it. That's my favorite thing ever. (laughs) I mean, it might be partly due to the fact that he doesn't really remember filming a lot of this. That's bonkers to me. When you suggested this episode, I was like, okay, yeah, sure. Like, yeah, they're fun. They're they're a little out there. But the fact that, you know, Stephen King has been pretty candid about his his history with drug use. And not just the recreational kind, like which we'll definitely get to in this episode. But I don't know. I think that's kind of refreshing and Fucking Maximum Overdrive is something else. 
right? I love this movie. I know you do. <laughs> I know you do. For my birthday last year, I made you watch it for the first time. That was my birthday gift to me. I love this movie. Like rewinds and all. Kim, Kim, you missed this scene. Kim, Kim, look at this. Kim, yeah. the truck is doing another thing. I think it's a perfect film. I think it's great. I unironically love it. Whoa. Okay, perfect is <laughs> maybe Whoa. not the right description. You're dropping some truth bombs before it's, the five minute mark. Right? I just, it, this movie is so fucking rock and roll and I don't know. Oh, if- it's it's definitely rock and roll. I mean, in the title cards, we have ACDC with the lightning bolts. Yeah, in the title cards. It even shows up at like the uh, like a fake tour bus shows up on the- uh, We get on- legit ACDC <laughs> font in this. Not just the musical stylings of ACD throughout, but font? Font. I love it. (laughs) It's so perfect. And, like, what better band could you use to score your entire movie? I honestly, though, not to knock your favorite truck movie of all time, John, but they probably brought them on board because they were like, you know... Trucks really aren't that interesting and or intimidating. You you know what we need? We need some fucking ACDC on top of these trucks because trucks are kind of lame. I mean, you say that, but like trucks, they fucking kill people. One of those trucks has a goblin face on it. Yeah, so the Green Goblin is pretty great. Yeah, so, I mean, back to the ACDC thing, though, that was a 100% Stephen King's idea. That wasn't, like, a producer like Oh, idea. I didn't, I wasn't thinking it was, <laughs> I didn't think that there were any voices other than Stephen King's in the production of this. <laughs> yeah, Stephen King and cocaine. Like, it's like, you could say this movie's directed by cocaine, produced by cocaine. <laughs> It's pretty coherent, if if you ask me, for those qualifications. Uh, somewhat. <laughs> like when we think of when oh man, the comet stuff, like the the, the trying to explain why this movie happens yes. is so. This movie bizarre. feels like both it starts and it ends too early in the, the grand scheme of things. Like yeah. oh, it might be that comet, and they just superimpose some green northern lights almost. To explain why the trucks are doing what they're doing. It is such a big title card. It's a whole paragraph, right? It's a lot. On June 16th at like 943.66 yes. something a.m. Eight days and 27 hours and 23 minutes and four seconds were in the tail of the comet, which is like a broom. Oh, man, the broom <laughs> stuff. Like, broom stuff aside, which is not going to make any sense if you haven't seen this movie yet. Uh, but, you know, Emilio Estevez tries to explain away everything. Like a broom. Like It's it's like a broom, man. But even the, <laughs> even the movie. <laughs> tries to just wipe away the UFO stuff. It's almost like when they were editing the movie, they couldn't go back and redo anything that they'd already previously edited. Like, it was just locked in. Like, oh, well, I, I would love to edit that title card, but we can't. So uh, let's put another one at the end that says, maybe it's all UFOs. I thought I did not pay good enough attention to the movie when we finally got to the end title cards when they were talking about how the Russian uh, weather satellite, which conveniently had (laughs) nuclear missiles on it, oh dear my, shot down a UFO. And there's, uh, what? I thought it was just this anomaly from this comet. Like it was going to be just, I don't know, weird gravity or stardust or something, but UFOs? Like, So are the trucks aliens? 
But here's here's the thing. Emilio Estevez in that broom sequence is like, it's like a broom. And so he's saying that UFOs, I don't know where this comes from. You know, I it's stopped like- listening to Emilio <laughs> Estevez as like a vein of truth. The second he wiped his face in that dirty <laughs> gas station bathroom with that rag from God knows where. <laughs> so disgusting. He touched that, his oh, face. Oh, man. Yeah, that looks real gross. It's not even one of those ones that's in a dispenser that you like, you oh, have to those rotate are, through. Oh, I know we've talked about them on the podcast before because they come up a lot in, in 80s horror movies. The like they were a thing. rag. Yeah. So gross. <laughs> so disgusting. But this wasn't even that. It, it was, was just a rag just draped over the soap dispenser. And it was like brown. Yeah, it was pretty gnarly. It was it was wet and he was wet and there was two wet things coming into contact. And he just, you know, he lost all credibility for me in that moment. Also, the, the shit sounds in that scene. Oh, there's a lot. Let's just, oh, let's just wipe that entire scene from our memories sure i mean to talk to, to finish off the the, the ufo shirt. yeah to, to, my brain's mush. <laughs> the ufo broom talk <laughs> my brain is mush i love this movie i feel like i just did drugs i was like when i five minutes ago i said this was a coherent movie and look where we are now <laughs> So the broom stuff. I mean, <laughs> after a, after a long hard day in the sun of pumping gas for these sentient trucks, uh, he's like, you know, like and suddenly he's had an epiphany. Like they, <laughs> they're completely cut off from civilization. There's no radio. There's no TV. There's no dessert, like there's no reason why this is happening. None of them are scientists. But Emilio Estevez is like, it's a broom, and you know, like if the aliens want to come and take our planet, but it's all like, like it's a house. But the house is polluted. Actual quote. Uh, yeah, they, they, you send in the broom <laughs> to clean up. So in his mind, the comet is a piece of alien tech. And like the, the spell that it's casting over some of the mechanics of Earth. Oh, we need to get, we need to get into that. Is phase one of an alien invasion. That's what Emilio Estevez is trying to say. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. It makes some sense. I did, I did come up. Hello, Matilda. How are you? You wanted to join in on the we talk? We were having too much fun. The dog oh, shit. came. Are we talking about I, trucks? I, I, <laughs> I love trucks. By the way, while we're here, did you know trucks, just full, all caps, I think maybe even with an exclamation mark, is the title of the short story that is adapting this feature? I love that. Matilda, you have to be quiet. You either have to be quiet or you got to get a third microphone and talk. Or you need to say something about Emilio Estevez. <laughs> <laughs> Matilda, what are your thoughts on Emilio Estevez? She's walking away. Okay, okay that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so about the tech. Like, let's break it down here. Sure. So, trucks, yeah, cars, even, automobiles. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You've already gone too far. Oh. <laughs> it's just trucks. It's not cars. Have, did you see a single car in this movie that went evil? Including the ones that people were driving. <laughs> oh, true. None of the cars are evil. Oh, right. It's just, okay, well, it's, it's all trucks and... Delivery vans. And pop machines, no go. Right. No coffee dispensers, no pop machines, no pinball. No pinball. Which is a travesty. Surprisingly evil, that uh, Star Castle, is that the name of the game? The one that hypnotizes Giancarlo Esposito? Oh, he's so, I'm so sad he dies so early. Yeah, he's, he's such he's a great, great character. He could have been such a great character for that fucking a, locked in. Or just to cut back to, like, they don't even know he's in the games room and he's just there the whole movie. He's just playing games? <laughs> he doesn't even know about what's going on outside. He's 
he's just like pissed that the pinball stole his quarter. They oh man, now that we're thinking about it, fucking the, it hypnotizes him, and that's what gets him to touch the machine. Cause like he's already looted the place of like I don't know dozens of dollars worth of quarters, <laughs> and free packs of cigarettes. He's having a day. Okay, so pinball evil. Gatling gun attached to a car device? Is that a, is that a Gatling gun? I don't know what a Gatling it's gun is. It's some sort of belt-driven gun? It sounded pretty cool when I said it, though. So <laughs> we're just going to stick <laughs> with, with Gatling gun. Got it. Um, yeah, that thing, mechanical, evil. At some point, and maybe my favorite scene of this whole movie. Oh, lawnmowers, evil. Lawnmowers, evil. Oh man, <laughs> there's they, there are count them two Walkman deaths in this movie. It's rad. So my favorite thing about this movie as a whole is that Stephen King hates children, and it's very much conveyed in this movie. Which we'll talk we'll talk about the, that <laughs> scene. I know you're itching to say of it. Of course I am. I can feel your energy. I actually have something else that you don't even know about. Uh, my favorite favorite scene of this movie is when it's the little league. They're just having their little game, you know, on the field. They won. And uh, they're gonna celebrate with some sodas. <laughs> Coach is gonna treat them to some sodas. <laughs> and literally, I swear to God, there's just a team of people off camera just hurling sodas at a bunch of little kids. Yeah, it's supposed to be shooting from the vending machine, but this vending machine can aim. Like it's got it's got aim, it's got range. Oh. But yeah, these are all full ass cans of soda for sure. And some of those kids get hit. <laughs> they get like pelted with sodas. But then I don't know if it's because maybe this bike is considered tech for a minute, but this bike fails that the is running. I have been curious, wondering about this I my entire no life. My entire life. The wheel life. comes off of it. The wheel comes off of it. A kid falls down in the field and gets steamrolled. Fuck yeah, he does. And then the muse, the ACDC kicks up like that's the most badass moment in the <laughs> yeah. movie. It's we like, hate kids. It's a fucking it's a fucking sting. Like, I'm just going to do Hell's Bells because that's all I know. Oh, man. That Hell's, Hell's Bells. That Hell's Bells drop is pretty great. To be perfectly honest, I think I have talked about it in the podcast already. Hell's Bells. So I'm not going to spend too much time on it. But I watched this movie on TV a lot growing up. That's where I, that's where I originally I, saw it. I believe that. Yeah. I've, oh, man. I probably Was it saw it on still as Kid Killy? No, that's the thing. So I mean, like, the, you know, the 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 steamroller broke through the fence. The kid was like, ah, and then you know, we cut to something else. You know, we cut to ACDC. Um, and I had watched this movie dozens of times like that. I bought it for my dad. I bought it mostly for myself, but for my dad for Christmas as one year, did. as like a twelve-year-old, thirteen-year-old. Like, Here you go, Dad. I've gifted this to you. By the way, we're watching it Can right we now. Open it? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> one of those. And yeah, my sister was there. Little girl at the time just fucking destroyed her. <gasps> like, just ab- like blood curdling scream. Like, I'm sure this is like the movie where if a podcast was it was interviewing her and saying, like, Hey, what movie fucked you up as a kid? It's oh, that time my brother Jonathan put on Maximum Overdrive. I didn't, I did not know that we really see that kid get run over. And I was like, fuck yeah! But I had to then like deal with this little girl who was just like dead inside. Oh my God. She lost her shit. It's also like Christmas Day, so way to go, John. Well, and also, Deke? Is it Deke? Deke. The one kid that survives the Little League, the, 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 the Great Little League the Catastrophe. Massacre. <laughs> yes. Sponsored by Pepsi Cola. <laughs> Is hunted on his way to the gas station where his dad owns slash works. 
He's chased by a rogue lawnmower, which is wonderful. One of my favorite things. And that's also where we see the, the Walkman death. Oh, yeah. But Man, there's, a, there's a sequence where, like, the sprinklers are taunting yeah. him. Yeah. So also, like, any like hoses, water, it's all evil, right? Like, Well, okay. So we can, put, we can argue that a way that, although I don't know if this is the case in 1986, where, like, sprinklers have timers and stuff. And so sure. it's the timers that are evil. Maybe. Because essentially it's just turning on the water and turning off the water. But so, we do see a few times where, like... Uh, but when he turns around, the water shuts off. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the bridge lifting, the water, even, like, the, the truck that has the gas at the end of the movie that wants them to fill it up. We've, we like, knobs? Evil. Uh, knobs? Oh. oh, they all have a mind of their own. Because even when the bridge lifts <laughs> oh, up at the, the beginning, the evil. buttons press themselves, the levers turn themselves. Like, none of that makes sense. But cocaine says it's fine. <laughs> I do actually want your theory here on the evil mechanic mechanic we're just gonna say the evil the evil mechanical things sure it's mechanical evils yeah is it a hive mind is it one oh, thing fuck. okay or is it is each thing individual oh, like i know that the goblin the toy truck has kind of its own personality and it's definitely the boss even when the gatling gun comes like he's still the big the big bad yeah but that's so. Is it one thing? Are they all interconnected? I don't know. I really don't know. Now, Emilio Estevez rations that we have to do what the army gun truck says. We because do. Because it could at any time call in a fucking airstrike with napalm. Or it could just shoot them. It could just shoot them. But he's saying that we have to do what it says because, yeah, because like it's it's a, it's a military vehicle. So obviously it's it's interconnected to other military vehicles. I also love that this is well before like the the internet. Because like in theory now you could hack a car which is connected to another network which communicates to another device. Oh, but these like, do communicate. Because that's when they the, that's when, the things right when they start pumping gas, all the trucks like all those thirsty ass trucks show up, <laughs> yeah, and they're like toot toot. <laughs> uh, yeah. More importantly, though, Emilio Estevez quietly to one truck goes, "All right, man, that's it. We're empty," and all of the trucks start honking immediately. So it's like that they, they can all hear. <laughs> like that's, that's unless the, it's oh, one man. thing, unless it's just one consciousness. Po- so. Probably. That is probably what it is. Um, it's evolution, John. It's the next stage. The, the What does Emilio Estevez say in the diner? He's this like prophetic thing, and it's just like, when um, the hitchhiker, she's like, when will the world be ours again? He's like, maybe it never was. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, it never was ours. Oh, man, they give him such the weirdest lines. Like, oh. he's, he's, he's exhausted from pumping gas, and they're going to bring him inside. But then the car's like, toot, toot, get back to work. And he's like, his master's voice. Like, Break time's over. <laughs> oh, man. So as, as shitty, though, as Emilio Estevez's lines are, and like as, as ugh, cringeworthy they are, I fucking love Connie and Curtis so much. Connie is amazing. MVPs of the movie. Oh, and, and you know, like... She's such a fun character because she rags on Curtis a lot, but because they're such newlyweds, like there's so much like love and respect there. Right. And you really see it in that moment where where Curtis and Emilio Estevez, I can't remember his character's name, so I'm just gonna keep saying that. Billy. Billy are going to get these the book the Bible salesman because they can hear him crying outside. And she's like, You're not going, Curtis, you're not going. And everybody's like, He's gotta go, blah, 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 blah. And she's just like, Curtis, don't make me widow on my wedding day. And right? you're just like, Oh, my- <laughs> Oh my god! I want to hug you so hard, Yardley Smith. I want to hug you so hard. 
even when they stop off on their way to the gas station, there's there's a they discover a dead body. They don't know who's killed it yet. But she comes out of the car all scared, and she's just like clinging to the wedding cake topper. Oh my god, <laughs> I fucking loved it. And then they rescue her out of the car when the car is toppled over, and she's like, "You're not my Curtis." <laughs> yeah, wait, get your hands off of me, Curtis. Where are you? She is the best. Oh, I love her so much, so much. According to uh, according to the IMDb trivia, she is embarrassed by this movie. No, she's the best thing about this movie. She's pretty great. I think a lot of people are probably embarrassed by this movie, but I think that just comes from being on set and being involved in that circus of a production, right? Stephen King didn't know what he was doing. It looks fine. It looks great. There's some I, fun uh, POV shots. When they go in the sewer, we shoot up from below the sewer. There's some great shots in this. He might have had a great DP. Who knows? But it looks pretty coherent. The you're an asshole on the ATM. Fucking wonderful. Stephen King cameo. Right? Love it. Uh, speaking of the DP, Armando Nanuzzi, who, uh, who who'd worked with Dino De Laurentiis a whole lot, um, didn't really get along with Stephen King. <gasps> Oh, no. For good reason. Mostly because Stephen King, unprofessional, on drugs, didn't know what he was doing, didn't know what he wanted, looked to the crew like, did we get it? And they're like, I don't know. You're the director. How do you think it went? You know, like, he he just did not know what he was doing. And, like, that's that's fine. He he probably shouldn't have taken this on. But it was like, fuck it, let's do it. Oh, Um, my God. And on top of that, there was a very near accident where a cameraman and the grip were almost killed <gasps> in the end of the movie where they're they're shooting Curtis actually MVP shooting at that ice cream truck that just like explodes and flips and flies and slides right toward the camera yes yeah that was supposed to like flip twice and just crash it was not supposed to slide it malfunctioned and in like the absolute last second, like the grip grabbed the cameraman and pulled him out of the way, and like they would have died if he did not, because the camera was just completely destroyed. <laughs> the camera was destroyed. Yeah, the camera was destroyed. Obviously, they got the shot and everything, but uh, but yeah, cameras. Just, from what I from what I understand, cameras destroyed. Wow. And I will say there is a lot of ballistics and a lot of explosions and oh, just yeah. a ton of fiery nonsense in this movie. Way more than you're anticipating. And like, that's and none of those scenes are the scenes where somebody got hurt. Because somebody did get hurt. <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> Armando, the DP, who was already off to a bad start with Stephen King. Um, man, so, you know that you know that lawnmower you really like? Oh, no. <laughs> now, there's no reason for this lawnmower to have real blades, but Stephen King insisted that it's, oh, people will know that it's real, and it'll be scarier if there are blades on it, and the blades are going. Oh, no. And you know that uh, the, the blades of that lawnmower picked up a piece of wood that flew right into fucking Armando and Anuna's eye, and he lost his left eye. He lost an eye? Lost an eye for this movie. For maximum overdrive, oh, he lost no. an eye. Oh, as a DP, that is the worst thing ever. Right? Can you imagine? Oh. That's why he and, like, 17 other people sued <laughs> Stephen King for, like, $18 million oh or something. Oh, my God. I knew nothing of this. It got settled out of court, but, yeah. I th- Honestly, I think Dino De Laurentiis was one of them also. <laughs> I'm so depressed now. Who's Dino De Laurentiis? Dino De Laurentiis is, um, like, an Italian film producer. His production company kind of just, like, made all of the great fucking 80s movies. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, Dino De Laurentiis production. You'd be surprised how many movies we've already covered from that production company, and also the uh, the podcast, How Did This Get Made? A lot of De La- Dino De Laurentiis <laughs> movies there. I find there's a lot of crossover in the movies we talk about and the movies they talk about. Oh, but the tone is completely different, At right? At least when they get into the genre sphere. Oh, man, I can't believe they didn't like Jason X. It's a, the biggest disappointment of my life. <laughs> 
Okay, so we didn't talk. We were touching on, you know, the the cruelty to children, uh, the fictional cruelty to children. Sure. John, would you like to discuss the the plane that was your your first time discovery on this? Oh watch? man, so great! <laughs> now, first off, there is a rad moment in this movie where you hear "Flight of the Valkyries" while this plane is just like piloting over, which is shot like it's literally playing for the characters. Yeah, see, at first the music is there and it's just like scoring the scene and then we cut back to a kid who's on the ground and it's like he can hear it from a megaphone above him. Like, it's what is quieter. Going on? Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that. Oh, but in the end of the movie we see probably that exact same plane crashed directly into a, ch- a children's school bus just sitting yeah. on the highway. Like zeroed in on some kids that weren't dead yet, I guess. Right? Stephen King hates kids. <laughs> <laughs> we should say... Maximum Overdrive. Oh, Maximum Overdrive hates kids. Yeah. Yeah, no. Sounds like Stephen King raised a pretty good one because he's following in his dad's footsteps and writing pretty great shit. Yeah, and also just like anytime you hear about, uh, you know, like the the wild days of Stephen King, you know, it it seems like his kids grew up okay. So, I mean, he did something okay. All right, you know, probably thanks to his wife. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say, see, it sounds like he's got a pretty dope wife because she's the reason why Carrie got published and is also the reason why Stephen King is huge now. (laughs) Right, yeah. Because without Carrie, there was no Stephen King. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, one more one more thing about Maximum Overdrive hating kids. Yeah, let's go. Let's go there. <laughs> Stephen King insisted that they equip that kid who gets run over by the steamroller with a huge pack of blood. So the idea was that they would run over this kid, the bag would explode, and then as the steamroller keeps coming, you see a big red fucking streak on the steamroller, right? Fucking rad. Here's the thing. Okay. <laughs> it did not blow up the way they expected, and when they shot it, like the scene that we see where we're underneath the steamroller as that kid's being rolled up, it exploded like a cannon out of the head. <laughs> it's just like a, <laughs> a geyser of blood. And Stephen King was just like, yes, this is great. I love it. Let's keep it. And it was in the original cut, but the MPAA made them take it out. I'm I'm not surprised. <laughs> there, this movie is really just an abundance of weird decisions. And oh man, a lot of great decisions. We didn't even talk about the fact that the the the, the battery powered turkey knife, like the electric knife, I only, I've only ever seen it used for turkeys. I have no idea what other purpose it has, but it comes to life and attacks the waitress yes. while she's trying to flip eggs. I love her. Wanda, she's great. She has that. Oh man, there are two <laughs> rad lines that like just have to be in this movie. One, her busting out of the Dixie Boy to go. We made you. We her oh, little man. bow just shaking angrily on her head. Love it. That and Brett, the hitchhiker slash love interest, who goes, man, it's maximum overdrive out there. You're like, yeah, she's, <laughs> she said it. She's pretty badass, though. She's a pretty great character. Oh, yeah. Hitchhiker who keeps a straight razor in her boot? Fuck yeah. She's pretty wonderful. She's good. Except that sex scene that she has with Emilio Estevez is real. Ew, where he, like, he uh, tastes her sweat. Yeah, it's like, like he it's like he licks her forehead. So this is nothing on her, but um, I just like can we just not? Let's just not. Okay. <laughs> Man, that's good stuff. Uh <laughs> What? It's just weird. It's it's, uh, it's just weird. And the entire movie it, to me is just like it's like a thesis for the 80s. It is just excess. The entire decade, this entire film, everything about it is just like, oh, you want like you want you want a cool movie where things explode? We've got dozens of grenade launchers. We've got rocket launchers. So many. They they 
just at any opportunity fire a rocket launcher in this movie. It's not even something that they're waiting for the finale. It's just like, fuck it, daytime, kablamo! The waitress fires one. I mean, she's dying at the time, which looks wonderful, but she fucking blows up a truck too. Everybody gets to blow up a truck. Yeah, right? Good stuff. Real good stuff. Man, the, the beats of this movie are so strange too. Like, and how the, the, the truck is just like, Morse code, you gotta fill us up. and It's pretty great. I really like it, but it comes it comes in such a weird place. Like the, this movie doesn't really have a finale. Well, and also, <laughs> you know? also too, like there are a lot of lulls. Like there's one point where they're just trapped inside the diner. None of the trucks are like running over them because the the diner looks pretty fragile. But you know, whatever. They just circle them until they run out of gas. And it's just like this doesn't feel like a good plot point that we're just gonna let the trucks run out of gas. It's all about intimidation, right? They they, they need to scare these people into being their slaves. Ah, uh, yeah, I guess. And they're just high on life. They're like, <laughs> freedom, finally, I choose when to go into second gear. But are they UFOs? Like, what so, What does this comment have to do with anything I came other ac- than the title crawl? I came across a theory that somebody says that the aliens, it's invisible aliens. Because, like, we have all so those- So aliens are driving the truck? That's what, that, that's what somebody said. But, like, I don't, I don't that's buy That's kind of cute. <laughs> I give that theory a cute out of 10. <laughs> I don't buy it because if that were the case, why did they need the humans to pump the gas? Like There could have just oh, been true. a shot of the humans going like, oh my God, look, look, look at the gas pump. And it just like, like a ghost lifts up off the thing and drops into the truck. Yeah. And they control the electricity. So there's just. Right. The electricity in the building can hear them. Like we can't pump the gas. We don't have no electricity. <laughs> and then the lights come back on, man. Good stuff. Don't talk shit about trucks during Maximum Overdrive's eight-day window or you're going to get fucked. (laughs) (laughs) Man, it's hard to know what not to talk shit about because, like, some electricity's good, some electricity's bad, battery power, also bad. Anything that's mechanical and- Guns are mechanical. Guns are fine, right? Guns are crazy intricate, especially some of those grenade launchers and stuff. Is it because you don't have to plug them in? Well, that doesn't make any sense because the gun that's on top of that army car is also not, like- it doesn't. It, it's not like it doesn't work if the truck's not turned on. You know, like it's not a part of the truck. It's just mounted on the truck. Yeah, it's literally on a pole. <laughs> oh man, there's there's no reason why they shouldn't have gotten to the boatyard where they escape on boat. Which uh, on boat? <laughs> a lot of movies that I like have characters escaping on boat. It's because Maximum Overdrive is technically a zombie film, John. Just right on. It's a zombie film with trucks. Well, correct me with if I'm big wrong. Big ass zombies. Isn't Night of the Living Dead also a comet movie? Where it's like. There's a we're in the tail of a comet and the the comet affects us and that's what makes the humans a zombie. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Checks out. Yep, no, we're good. Yep. There is I just to like blaze through a few things that I have in my head. Uh, that but no, we were getting we to a point with your sailboat. Oh thing. shit, I forgot about that. There's no reason why they didn't <laughs> show up at the yacht yard and all of the boats were just grinning like, "Yo, come yeah. at us, bro." What's the difference between a motorboat and a car? The answer is they can't be maximum overdrived. I guess that was the punchline. <laughs> I would love to have seen a human impaled by a yacht and then strung up like it was a fucking distress signal flag. Oh yeah, that would have been good. Half mass, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> In the original draft, apparently the there was one final sequence where they had to fight a Coast Guard boat that also had a gun on it. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> so at least at least they were aware that like oh there's there's a plot hole here we gotta we gotta fix that. Um, but regarding the Night of the Living Dead stuff, apparently George A. Romero was on set a lot of this movie. Yeah, to like I guess help Stephen King who'd never directed a thing before, and that's they fine. worked together previously a bunch. 
There is also a rumor, which I had never heard about and until today. And it's Stephen King's first zombie movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they just happen to come as trucks. This is literally the mist, though, right? Like this Kinda. is This is the mist without the crazy religious overtone. Yeah, I guess. Trade out, the, like, the religious lady for, like, killing kids, and you've got the mist. Yeah, you see, as, as long as you take the religious lady out of the group, it looks like everybody's having an okay time. In, now, the, in the mist? Well, they, they would have had an okay time yeah. in the mist, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and this one is just a guy with a lot of guns stored. Oh, there is a Bible person, but he's a con artist. But he's not a real Bible person. No, he's not a real Bible person. He's the MLM of Bible sellers. <laughs> he really is. I, I did find a rumor today, which I'd never heard before, that George A. Romero maybe possibly secretly directed a whole big chunk of this movie while Stephen King was away in treatment for his cocaine addiction, hmm. which, to be honest, might have just coincided with uh, with the DP getting injured and the, and the lawsuit. But... I don't know. Like, he's never, Stephen King's never addressed it. George Romero never addressed it. It probably didn't happen. It's probably just a rumor. Bros before films. <laughs> right? They, <laughs> did you know that they built that truck stop? It's not, I, a, it's not a real truck stop or a set. Like, they built it. That's fun. And it was so convincing that truck drivers showed up to get gas, and they were like, it's a movie. We need you to leave. Oh, yay. <laughs> they had to actually put an announcement on the radio saying, like, we're filming. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. Man, I love this movie a lot. There are a lot of great deaths in it. It's just a fucking blast. I laugh my head off throughout the whole thing. And You do. Yeah. <laughs> like, points where I was like, what are you laughing at? Did I miss a thing? Like, you just start laughing. Like, you just thoroughly enjoy <laughs> shitty, mean trucks. I, I, yeah, yeah. I think it's great. I think it's a whole lot of fun. And especially for a first feature, I think Stephen King did an okay job. I want to say great, but I know people got hurt. So I'm going to say okay. He did an okay job. This movie kicks ass. It's pretty, pretty wild. I am very curious to hear your rating of it, um, because, like, it's a good time, but I understand that, you know, maybe you can't look at it like cinema, uh, but I personally- <laughs> I don't look at anything like cinema. Let's be real, John. I love you. This, uh, and then, But all of that in mind is why I'm giving Maximum Overdrive, surprise, four out of four. Yeah, we all saw your letterbox rating. Oh, yeah. And also you unveiled it at the beginning of this episode. Hell yeah, I did. <laughs> it's because I try and talk about this movie at every opportunity. I'm basically the guy who talks about other movies when I'm not talking about Maximum Overdrive. Oh, boy. Yeah, I'm going to give it a two and a half out of four. Right on. I think it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of wild shit. But also there's a lot of moments where we're just stuck in the truck stop. And and I understand, like, you know, it's really expensive to just blow up a truck every five minutes. But, but they I mean, do. But they, they do. Almost do they almost do and the acdc really like cranks it okay fine i'm gonna give it a three out of four even that track that's not acdc which is like wow 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 yes it's like the goblin sound effect love it (laughs) that one guy who did look down the barrel of that 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 gas pump and got a bunch of diesel in the eye totally fucking deserved it though let's be real oh boy what's so special about hero bread's soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Moving on, we're going to talk about another drug-fueled Stephen King film. This time, we're moving from cocaine and heading straight over to prescribed painkillers. And we're talking about Dreamcatcher. 
There are those who believe. Your dreams have great power. And to remain safe, you must sleep beneath a dream catcher. The legend says pleasant dreams pass through the center. While nightmares become entangled in its web. This time, evil slips through. My guess is it's a crash landing. They're up to their old tricks. I'll tell you what you should be worried about. Somebody could pass for one of us. You're not Jonesy. These are Americans. The idea of slaughtering Americans just turns my stomach. Show you things you wish you'd never seen. Dreamcatcher from 2003 is currently sitting at a 5.5 out of 10 on IMDb, 28% on Rotten Tomatoes, 35% on Metacritic, and 2.3 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Almost across the board higher scores than maximum overdrive just want to point that out john kim i have a confession to make let's hear it so we've we've brought this movie up on the podcast before and i think the the general consensus in like just the one or two offhanded sentences we've thrown out about this movie is that just like it's weird but like it's not as bad as everybody says <laughs> i had the wrong movie. What movie were you in thinking? In my of? mind. Ah. Okay, so I don't I don't remember what movie it was cuz I thought it was Dreamcatcher. It's it's like Dreamcatcher. Okay, so maybe you remember what this movie is because it's it's basically the same premise, but I think it's like two guys in a cabin and they discover like an alien and the whole movie is just in the cabin. It's like Autopsy of Jane Doe with an alien. Oh, I don't know if it's two guys. I know what you're talking about. Fuck, that's... And it's like a super indie... Like, they don't yeah. leave the cabin. Yeah, 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 totally. They've kidnapped the alien, the movie you're thinking of. I, I think. It's a group of friends. One of them is crazy, Ooh. and the rest of them have moved on because they maybe all got abducted by aliens five years ago, 12 years ago, and... And I remembered of? it being okay. Like that being is a really okay movie. Pretty okay. And so my brain was just like, that's Dreamcatcher. I... <laughs> In the bag. We did it. <laughs> I have seen Dreamcatcher, like the verse, the actual Dreamcatcher. Definitely remember renting it like at Blockbuster. Oh, yeah. But oh boy, was this watch an awakening for me. Because as soon as we like left the cabin very early on in the film, like, You're the like first oh, we, third, we leave the cabin. I was like, what? And then Morgan Freeman showed up with a bunch of helicopters. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I was 
so confused. Given his like standard, the, what we what we have here is a matter of national security. How many times has he said that in his career? Oh boy, good every time too. <laughs> yeah, I was just I did not buckle up before this. I was really confused with this double feature. I'm going to be completely honest with you. Because you were just like, yeah, he was totally on drugs when he wrote this. And in my head, Dreamcatcher was this like super mumblegore alien movie. <laughs> You're like, that's a Stephen And King? I was like, yeah, wow. okay, that's fine. Like, I've suggested a few weird pairings that you've kind of gone with. So, like, let's just do it and hope for the best. And I was like, you know what? Cocaine and prescribed opiates they're they're two different beasts so like they're they're gonna be totally different it's gonna be a really chill second half and then when i watched this it's gonna be a chill second <laughs> half there are aliens jumping out of people's butts oh in this boy. movie is there are some shooty buttholes in this movie i was not like i was not settled in i was not prepared i fell out of the tram halfway through i did not keep my hands and arms inside the train it was a rough ride. I had to pause and have a nap halfway through only because I had two hours of sleep. And I was like, I don't think I can stay aboard. I like, I don't think I can do it. I do not have the mental capacity for this movie. I was expecting 90 minutes, like quiet little alien reveal halfway through. Ooh. <laughs> and then you start, you start off with like psychic stuff. You're like, I don't really remember this. I don't think this is going to play into the story, but so okay. much psychic stuff. <laughs> And a lot of duty humor. <laughs> yeah, so much of it. There's a character in this movie who just, his job is to just find different words to describe his dick, I think, right? Oh, I was just talking about the farting. Oh, yeah, uh, there's a lot of that. The farting hosts? Is that? Yeah, f the farting hosts. <laughs> It's one thing Alien from 1979 did not have, right? Like, not a lot of gas with that that alien just, like, growing inside of you. Oh, boy. Okay, so before we get into this, because, like, I am really new. Like, I'm really new to what Dreamcatcher actually is. Can you just give me a little lowdown low in regards to, like, was this a, a full novel? Was it a novella? Was it a short story? Oh, this is a novel. Okay. Like, this is a... 800 page type novel okay maybe it's not that big i my dad was my dad was a buy the new stephen king book as soon as it comes out guy so they were all hardcovers they're all significantly bigger than their paperback brothers but i yeah i remember this being like one of the big books that i was like i'll read this one later and i'm trying it was released in i think 2000 Oh, man, let, let me think here. He wrote it in 1999, so and the movie came out in 2003, so if, at the very least, it's a super-duper turnaround. So this mo the book dropped, and they were like, That's it, got it. sealed, print, post. They, they <laughs> might have bought it before it published, right? Just oh. based on probably a few rushes, <laughs> you know? And, which is wild, because he was Stephen King. It's, it's worth mentioning, did not direct this one. He did direct Maximum Overdrive. And this this story he wrote, under the influence of Oxycontin after a pretty severe car accident. Do you remember that? I Well, I do, because this all kind of came around, like, right into my aging into horror. And sure, so, like, yeah. I grew up with, was it Kingdom Hospital? That, like, yeah. That miniseries was, like, my, <laughs> one of my first introductions to Stephen King and Rose Red and, like, sure. all of those, like, TV miniseries that were coming up at the end of the 90s and the early 2000s. And Kingdom Hospital, I remember, was directly, like, inspired by that car accident. Like, it literally starts off with his accident. Yeah, it starts off with an artist getting hit by a car and then <laughs> experiencing a bunch of weird hallucinations and in a the, hospital. There's a 
little girl and an anteater. The anteater. What is, okay. He anyway. was wonderful. He had such a smooth talking voice and you're just like, you're a sexy anteater from the other side. How old are you at this time? 12 years old? Probably. <laughs> about anteaters? All right. No, he was, he was a good mascot for death, I think. Okay. He was very good. Yeah, I don't Significantly know. more approachable than your standard cloak and scythe Grim Reaper? Yeah, fuzzy. He had a little girl with him. He walked out slow and lumbery, great for old people, got bad knees when they cross over. He's the perfect fit for Reaper Madness Month, now that I'm thinking about it. Shit, we should have just watched all 16 hours of Kingdom Hospital. <laughs> oh boy, it really oh, falls man. off the wagon. I never finished it. Yeah, so do we know what this period in his life was like? Like, I, I sure, understand yeah. his accident was pretty serious. As a matter of fact, I have the Wikipedia article right here. Because uh, I'm not a historian, I just uh, I just happened to read this right before we started recording. Uh, but his injuries included a collapsed right lung, multiple fractures of his right leg, scalp lacerations, and a broken hip. Oof. Imagine being the 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 dude that hit Stephen King. Yeah, the uh, the. Oh, like, man. oh God, is your is your typewriter hand okay? It's especially in Maine too, right? Like everybody in the town's like, God damn it, Jerry, <laughs> you hit Steve. <laughs> was it the statue of Steve or was it actual Steve? If I remember correctly. Uh, because I just put my phone down. <laughs> he had a dog in the back seat of his minivan that was like walking around and he was distracted and he just like clipped Stephen King basically. He hit him, flew off the road. Uh, you know, it, you know, there were witnesses who saw the guy sort of swerving around probably because he was not paying attention. Turned himself in, got, you know, pled guilty to whatever, did six months in jail, I believe, something like that. Wow. Uh, Stephen King's lawyer and I think his wife bought, I read this in the Wikipedia, this was great, bought the minivan for $1,300 after it was seized, I guess, by the police, so that way it wouldn't show up on eBay. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. You don't even think of shit like that. Yeah, they crushed it. The van that that hit Stephen (laughs) King. Oh, man, how would they? And then that's just just profit for that guy, right? And then they get his stem cells off. It and like 40 years later, we don't have holograms of Stephen King. We have like this weird the cells dumb clones <laughs> from like the accident of Stephen King. So it's just like before he got all hopped up, <laughs> but the technology but is after still he new. was all hopped up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they crushed the van, which apparently Stephen King was very upset about because he wanted to destroy it himself with a sledgehammer. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Yeah, right. I like that. Like, ah, oh, he's still he's still old Steve in there. But yes, he was in the middle, he was, in terms of, like, the period of his life, he was in the middle of working on, on writing, his, his book about, about writing. Um, he got back to it after ten days and five surgeries, he just started working on that book again, and I guess, um, either to step away from that or to work on something else afterward, Dreamcatcher was, was, ex- was exactly what he started diving into. And in a 2014 Rolling Stone article, he said that he didn't much care for that book. (laughs) So it's hilarious to see that it's immortalized on film also. So we're doing a double feature of things Stephen King doesn't like of his own work. Oh, yeah. Right? (laughs) Yeah, it's it's the worst adaptation of my material, and I don't very much like that book. (laughs) But I think it's probably worth tipping our hat to the guy for remaining that productive. And just having such a regimented routine because his his writing schedule, from what I understand, is incredibly strict. It is, like, top priority. And if he's making set visits to things like It Chapter 2 or something, he's kind of edgy because he ha- he hasn't written yet. And it's it's just part of the routine that keeps him sane and healthy and one of the most prolific writers of our time. Hmm. 
So good on that guy. It's kind of interesting to looking at Dreamcatcher as kind of like a, a time capsule of his mental state at the time because it is kind of like a dream state movie that's really reminiscent of of other Stephen King works. Like, oh my god, there's a there's a little bit of the Losers Club in this. Yeah, except these losers are losers. These guys suck. Okay, John, <laughs> slow your roll a little bit. Um, and I was also gonna say it's got the psychic elements similar to like Rose Red, where all of the characters are psychic, which is uh, like a really hard thing to pigeonhole into a movie. But... It's got straight up dead zone scenes where he's just uh, Thomas Jane meets Morgan Freeman and he's like, he's going to kill us all. And he's just staring him down the whole time. It's and, just like uh, Stephen little... King just figured out how to do it without the handshake this time. <laughs> and a little bit of like powder, dare I say? Tommy knockers, baby. We got Tommy knockers in there too. Heck, under the dome if you really want to get technical about it, I guess. Man, it's crazy how much Stephen King writes about aliens. When you say Stephen King and you have to like write like the monsters or like the type of horror that he he works in, Alien is not like the first, third, or fifth thing you're writing down on the board, right? Yeah. <laughs> like supernatural stuff, bad husbands, <laughs> bullies, psychics, yeah, lots of writers. <laughs> Man, this movie is bizarre, and. Ooh, where do we even start with this I one? don't even know. Once you say butthole aliens, the rest is just a blur of red spores. Okay, so let's let's at least jump into the fact that each of these guys has like a weird personality quirk. One of them's suicidal, but like whatever, we don't talk about it. And Jason Lee, who plays Joey, is like a foul-mouthed idiot who has to have a toothpick in his mouth at every second of the day. Yeah. So much- Even in quarantine. Let's just- (laughs) It's keeping him calm. Okay, cool. At least he knows that about himself. Maybe he quit smoking. And this this is the thing. I gotta, I gotta have a toothpick in my mouth. Otherwise, I'll be puffing on a cigarette. So- Cool, whatever, but he's given one fucking job. They've got an alien trapped in a toilet because they they rescued a guy from, from the cold who seemed sick, but he's farty and his stomach is big. And when they come back into the cabin, there's blood everywhere and he's, he's very clearly sharded out an alien. He's sharded out an alien. A full alien worm thing. But Jason Lee has trapped him in the toilet. He's sitting on top of the toilet and tells his buddy Jonesy, go out to the shed, grab the grab the duct tape. And we'll seal his motherfucker up. But it's impossible. He just doesn't stay on the <laughs> he toilet. He just doesn't stay on the toilet. He's got like a five minute task. A five minute max task. And, and he just oh. doesn't stay on the toilet. Before he even sends Jonesy out to go get the duct tape though, he's like, all right, got to get my toothpicks. And he drops He them. was doomed from that moment. At this point, you don't really know what's happening. All they know is that some guy came in with some parasitic thing. They're in quarantine. Something came out his butt. All of his toothpicks landed in the bloody goo. That's okay. And he's found a, sem- a semi-clean <laughs> tile, single tile, Just in this bathroom reach. floor. And he's like, I'm going to put that in my mouth. Like, yeah! What that no I'm not man. opening my mouth no. in that cabin ever again. Never, yeah. Fuck, it's gross. Oh boy. <laughs> Why like you died for the dumbest reason. I do want to talk though, like while we're while we're deep in oh, yeah. the butthole toilet <laughs> oh. of this alien thing. 
is okay. I just I do not understand like the gestation rules of this alien. Oh, they make so, no sense. So with like alien, traditional xenomorph alien, which they reference in this fucking movie. It's so I, that's why I wanted to say because it that has a really interesting kind of gestation period because there's different forms of which the xenomorph takes, and one of those forms requires a human host. Yeah, the face hugger, which then has like the internal gestation, which is then born, and that is when the the xenomorph baby is born. And there's also like the egg stage. Hey, oh, now this this alien has a spore stage, which yeah. then goes into the human host and then becomes like a gurgle worm in their belly, which then gets farted out. Well, and then that worm has baby worms. <laughs> that has baby worms. That doesn't need humans at all. So no. essentially, like, I don't understand no it doesn't make sense it is the most inefficient race they figure out how to travel across the vistas and and manipulate themselves within inside other species but they still have these these redundant steps in and the, the big process. mama worms or like the big mama aliens yeah. are worms themselves yeah. they're just bigger versions of that worm so it's the worm weird. is the final stage i think it just gets bigger and the worm can have worms so what's even the point of going in the bellies and being shark aliens there is no point we really it's for shits and giggles i think for lack of a better term oh that's funny (laughs) when you say it like that that's pretty funny they don't need to come out people's butts at all it's redundant i wonder if it's in stephen king's contract that his editor also take all the same drugs that he's taking this movie got high in the second half oh it sure did it's so much so that i was like what is happening? You're like, Stephen King didn't direct this. And I was like, yeah, but the material is directing itself at this point. All of a sudden, we have swipes. There were side wipes. It doesn't make any sense. The the alien uh, who possesses Jonesy, the the redheaded lead, (laughs) his hood has a sound effect. Oh, my God. Every single single time he puts his hood up, it's like, shling. Like, okay. At one point, one of the baby worms opened his eyes and there was a twinkle sound effect. <laughs> the, the weirdest thing about that hood thing is that, that the first time they do it, okay, fine, whatever. That was a choice and, it, it you know, we can say that it worked. The second time, though, he's, like, standing next to a person when he does it and it's, like, so casual. It's a busy scene for that audio effect. Yeah, to be like, shling! But then, never again. And it's not the last time they show him putting his hood on all dramatically. Disappointed. I was really let down because I was like, here it comes. Yeah. And I got no schling. No schling. But yeah, the second half of the movie, there are like six wipes to clear the scene in like a 45 second succession. Well, also, there's just huge now, again, you know, this is a larger book. So, like, this is stuff they may be filmed. I have no idea, but they just, it's not in the movie. Like, hey, we should get Duddits to, by the way, we keep cutting back to these kids in Derry, Maine, just like the kids in. in Being the Losers Club. Being the Losers Club. Sans a girl, but like with this, uh, with this handicapped kid that they've decided to be big brothers to. And it's like, we should let him read our minds again. So, we can find that missing girl, right? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, that works. Let's and do you're that. like, did I miss something? What the fuck happened? Like, the previous scene, we just saw them making dream catchers together and then, and then cut to... Let's all uh, let's all let's all communicate telepathically and find that missing girl. And then he gives them all abilities, which are never clearly defined. What was Joey's one, ability? Yeah, so one guy's got ET powers, and then the rest of them are all like just psychic in general. Oh, you're talking about like that Donnie Darko power yeah. where he could just like, oh, ET phone where? home yeah. where he wants to go. Yeah. <laughs> 
And then everybody else is just sort of psychic. Hey, but well, yeah, they they can communicate together. It's funny how some of them, like even back when they were children, he was like, okay, now unfortunately, a few of you guys are what I like to call. Operation Human Shield. Now, no one likes the position. Some of you guys aren't going to get to use your super fun powers because you're going to get butt worms. But you get a super cool toothpick every day of your life from now until then. Fair trade, am I right? <laughs> and you got to make crafts with us. We made a dream catcher, which I don't know how that relates to anything. I d- uh, pfft, no idea, girl. No idea. This should have been called Butt Bandits. Well, uh, oh boy. You go ahead and Google that. Butt Bandits that. I think, from Space. I think the title may have been taken. <laughs> <laughs> no, the original working title of the book was Cancer. But I guess he just changed it to Dreamcatcher. I have no idea if that also meant, you know, writing on a post-it, slapping it on a page, saying, like, they make Dreamcatchers here. There's one in the cabin. <laughs> Call the book Dreamcatcher. I'm not entirely sure. I mean, it's another one of those things where it's just like he's he's pulling from Native American folklore all the time because um, it's convenient, I guess. But it's just another it's a one. passion, let's say. Yeah, you know, it's I don't think it's it's explained very well in the movie. Maybe in the book, completely justified. I can't yeah, really they, say. Well, they have to fit in a lot of stuff for this movie because there is like a whole fucking Oh, lot. there's a whole, like, it chapter one and chapter two. Yeah, well, and there's also a possession. One of the, the lead aliens, Mr. Gray, which I think is the name for all of the big the big baddie worms. Specifically this guy, but, I think. So one of them decides to be British. Yes. <laughs> and is in Jonesy for most of the movie. Then there's a Morgan Freeman plot where Morgan Freeman's this, like, military colonel who's been hunting aliens for, like, 25 years and wants to murder basically every Everybody in this quarantine zone because they're covered in spores. And that is a lot of the movie. He gets to be the, like, grand villain. And then there's this moral quandary with his new protege, Owen, and Thomas Jane, who's another psychic, (laughs) who gets, like, disbanded from his group of four. My fucking favorite part of this movie is when Thomas Jane is talking to Tom Sizemore, the, the Lieutenant Owen or whatever, like, Morgan Freeman's successor. And he's like, look, man, that guy's been hunting aliens for 25 years, and he's gone crazy, and he's gonna kill us all if you don't get me out of here so I can go find my buddy who's been possessed by one. It's like, Thomas Jane, calm the fuck down. How come this isn't blowing your goddamn mind right now? For some He is reason, just accepting that. These worm <laughs> aliens that I don't even know if I've seen them yet because I've been off in the snow for a really long time. Yeah. Is afraid of my paranormal buddy Duddits who lives in Massachusetts. So we're going to go there and get him. Right. But then I'm going to tell him to stay in the van because he's really fragile in the finale. It's like four people in a manic episode who convinced some army guys to take them somewhere else. Oh, boy. It's and there's crazy. a lot of helicopters in this movie for a whole segment of the movie that probably could have been cut out. There's Yeah, there's tons. Oh, are you talking about that scene where they're, like, hunting the aliens? Yes. I'm talking about all, where all, the, aliens? all of the military quarantine stuff. Okay, all of it. Sure. That's fun. Just um. this... The scope of this is just so much more than I was expecting for a wintry cabin getaway. I was totally surprised that I'd completely forgotten that Flight of the Valkyries hunt down of all the aliens who, you know, oh, super clever. Like the aliens, they have to look like those those skinny, gray, tall, big-headed eye things. 
I think they're just called greys. I think that's what UFO, UFO people call them. Sure. <laughs> Tall, skinny greys. Uh, but like, that's just, oh, it's a ruse. That's just what they That's what they think we want them to look like. But they really look like these big old worms with 100,000 teeth. And they're just waving to the helicopters like, we're in danger. Hey, we're dying. And they just start fucking mowing them down. And then it becomes like War of the Worlds for a minute. It's, it's real interesting you say that because, you know, when they go into the cabin and there's just that red biome material that's sort of spreading everywhere yeah that's very war of the worlds the red weed i think is what they called it and it, it seemed to like flow like blood across the land but it was organic like aliens like it's i'm i'm cool with it i don't like alien moss <laughs> i'm just not i don't know i'm just not a mold person i don't like spores I i'm a big fan of when aliens are portrayed with some sort of power or ability regarding spores and moss because it all feels alien on this planet okay. anyway well and also too like if we in grand scheme of things aliens are likely not going to be a carbon life form so like sure then maybe to us they're going to be moss but <laughs> these things are definitely like shape-shifting worms yeah who have spore abilities now you you talked about erasing that scene where they're hunting down the aliens. I talked about erasing the whole government aspect. Okay, well, look. uh, I just wanted my little alien in a cabin movie, and I was (laughs) just, I was unprepared. I did not check the height requirement before we boarded. (laughs) (laughs) I was just really overwhelmed in general. Okay, look, you can cut out whatever you want. Morgan Freeman's eyebrows were unruly. Just leave Morgan Freeman's eyebrows and that fucking scene where Thomas Jane uses a gun like a telephone. (laughs) Oh my god. Where it rings and he picks it up. He puts the barrel to his ear and he's got the the grip handle or whatever of the gun. Just like, hello? Oh, Jonesy, so glad it's you. Long time no see. <laughs> First time, long time. How have you been? Oh, my God. There was no irony in that scene, and my jaw was unhinged. Are we talking about Tom Sizemore reacted like it was the strangest thing he he'd ever like, seen? He was just like, give me my gun back. Yeah. <laughs> give me my John Wayne gun back. Give me my gun back. I love that scene. I also, I will say, the, the memory palace... I, that Jonesy has? Okay, off-brand, though. It's Memory Warehouse, John. Memory Warehouse. My mistake. Memory Palace is a much better name that other people have already taken and used <laughs> and trademarked. Memory Memory Warehouse. Love it. I love it, too. It's so great. Can it's I? It's really good, and it deserves to be in a better story. I know. Oh, here's, here's the craziest really thing. It's really good. And please don't take this as an insult, but, like, anytime that we talk about your screenplay that you're currently working on. Sup, 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 sup. Second Act Library. This is what I picture in my mind. Oh, <laughs> how dare you? What do you mean? It, it, does, it belongs in a better movie. The one you're writing. Oh, I do not know. Mine does not have a memory palace. But uh, I, yeah, the visual representation, it's really sad that, actually, you know what? I'm, I'm lying. All of the aspects of the memory warehouse in this movie are well done. The fact yeah. that there's a big giant worm alien hunting through it, trying to get the actual guy that's trapped in his own memories, and he's trying to keep some from this alien that's infiltrated his head. I kind of fucking love the entire yeah, thing. Yeah, I think that's so, so good. In a short film, the entire thing would take place there. Oh, yeah. 
It was lovely. I love And how he could look out the window and see what was happening. Yes, and we got to see the boxes with all the little labels and like what they were. I yeah. So Memory Palace is a whole star bump for me. Let's be real. It's so good. It was fucking great. Yeah, it's it's the highlight of the movie. There's just too much. The fact that there's three other psychic characters and that Mr. Gray has an objective and there's a military thing, it's just like this memory palace alien possession could have been the entire movie. Just this one guy grappling with this alien using his body to take over the world and him trying to keep secrets from him on i think this movie is uh oh man it's a saga it's it is there's there is one moment in in that i think is just completely unforgivable in regards to like what they do with this character he's looking out the window and he's watching himself possessed talking to his buddy who's who's drunk and injured and then we and then he can see that he turns into the worm and bites his buddy like in half and then i guess turns back into jonesy that makes zero sense to me because that means that he's shape-shifting he's with shape-shifting his with body him. like yeah. that that doesn't make any damn yeah, sense yeah and also at the ending when the worm comes out of him you're like how did that worm get in there <laughs> oh it got in through the spores like when so like when he's oh, like so staring he's like Dracula, it down. Then. Yeah, kinda. So it's like a worm to a bunch of rats, and those rats go in the body. Okay. I don't know how he fits, but he's in there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All yeah. right. He's a whole alien sure. right in there. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know. Okay. So let's just get to the finale here. So Dud, it's this this kid that's been this through line through the whole thing. Surprise, surprise. He's still alive. He's not dead, even though he's been appearing to them as a child. He's dying of leukemia, but his mom's like, I want him to die on the road with you, Thomas Jane. Yeah, like actually says that. <laughs> and then he gets really ill in like five, ten minutes. Yeah, as soon as he leaves the house, right? Like it's, it's as, as, as soon as he stepped off the porch, he was just like, oh, I'll be dead in five minutes. She you guys packed his up. medicine. What was the point? I what was the point of all of it? It's kind of like a Raiders of the Lost Ark situation. And he why, didn't need those kids. He why, just needed exactly. somebody to get him. He needed to call an Uber and drive to the water facility and just fucking like stab that other alien dude. And then it turns out he's a different alien, but that isn't revealed until he's like mortally impaled. <laughs> like he just lets himself get impaled and then he's like surprise surprise I'm not a worm but I'm like more of a Jurassic Park type thing who can like create membranes to trap your spores so there was something weird that I saw this time around where the there's a few aliens when they're when they're gunning down all those aliens by the alien ship with Morgan Freeman and his eyebrows and Tom Sizemore and the, the ship blows up right mm-hmm. is the idea the, a few of the aliens run underneath the ship and they plug their little like spiky tail things into the ship and then they like go into like a control center and then it it sort of like morphs and and explodes like lava like yeah because it's lava. like all organic it feels like yeah it's it, like the ship is actually like a living thing yeah, yeah. which is kind of cool yep i think that's exactly what duddits did at the end of the movie like he took his little like pincer and he like plugged into this dude and then self-destructed there's a lot of homosexual undertones to this movie oh sure just for yeah. the fact that it's like a big bro movie and it's about like a bro getaway and, and all the bros are in a codependent relationship with each other. Yeah, <laughs> and they can like read each other's minds, and they're like so There's intimately a lot of, like, close. Weird. And then yeah. also like how the aliens infiltrate bodies, and it's just like there's a real fear of like homosexuality. I think in this movie, it echoes with everything. There's no female relationships in this movie. No. I don't know if there's a single female character other than that one that's like waist deep in snow and mostly dead by the time <laughs> they find her. 
I mean, Timothy Oliphant, there's a few scenes where, like, the shit that he says is just like, this dude is an incel. Yeah, well, he's talking about dicks, like, the whole first 20 minutes in the cabin, and then the first thing that happens to him is his dick gets bit. <laughs> I think I think two of them get their dick bit. Like, see, I'm just telling you, just like, I would say undertones, but maybe they're overtones. What did you think of uh, of Donnie Wahlberg as Dunnitz with all of his Scooby Dooby Doo stuff? I like just we don't got some work to do now, stuff. No, yeah. I, <laughs> like I really don't know. I don't get it. I don't, I understand the like savant stuff, and Stephen King really likes to tell an underdog story, so I can see kind of the power and having it be this kid that was bullied, and he has the key, and he's been setting up this thing the whole time. So like I can see kind of the magic in that, yeah, and the arc of that story, but it's so muddled when they finally get him because when when we're at the finale and Owen who does the switcheroo on Morgan Freeman and, and is the potential to be the hero and save the day oh and they, they just shoot at each other until they both die yeah so he <laughs> dies by helicopter <laughs> and Thomas Jane goes to go in and do the finale alone and he tells Duddits to stay in the car meanwhile they spent like, like why the fuck did you bring they him they went and picked him up and, like, to his death like his mom was like he's gonna die on this trip and he's like stay in the car it's safer it, it just why did we bring him? Where is this big prophecy being fulfilled here? There's also so many scenes of Thomas Jane just like over explaining things. And like, this isn't his fault. This is just, this is just dialogue in the script, man. You know, the, the other crazy thing is when you look at the writing credits and the directing credits of this movie too, because there are, there are two other writing credits. One is, is also the director, Lawrence Kasdan. And the other is William Goldman who's one of the most respected screenwriters in Hollywood of all time. Wow. And and has adapted Stephen King stuff before. Adapted Misery. Wrote The Princess Bride. Um. <laughs> Fun fact, uh, just as I know, Misery is also about drugs. I, yeah. I wanted to bring that up at some point on this episode. Here I am doing it. Annie Wilkes is a metaphor for the allure of drugs and, and the, the huge role drugs and addiction played in his life because they're his number one fan. Yeah, cocaine's my number one fan. Yeah. I, that's, that's also what makes the end of that movie so great when, when well, I mean, if nobody's seen it, is this a spoiler? <laughs> I feel like you can spoil misery at this point. It's from the 90s. Okay. And also, it's our podcast, when we not spoiled a movie in one of these episodes. We have talked about Misery. That makes it fair game. Ha-ha! That's true. <laughs> anyway, so at the very end, when he sees her again at the restaurant, that's such a great moment, because that's just like, you're you're just having a business meeting, and there's this flash of like, ooh, and a line right now would be great. Like, oh, if I could just have a bump. Right? Like, that's that's her showing up again for just a split second. But Lawrence Kasdan, who, you know, you would never necessarily associate with horror, is the director of The Big Chill. God, that's a good movie. And one of the best new westerns of all time, Silverado. I know I'm not talking your language right now. I'm very sorry. You're, ta you're talking to the audience. It's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to sit here and think about the spores and the... The buttworms. Yeah, there are uh, there are a lot of talented people uh, <laughs> involved in this movie. It's crazy that it looks the way it does. I don't understand how any of this stuff happened. <laughs> I mean, all in all, though, like it was weird, but it was fun. <laughs> oh, that's so. That's the thing, and I I think like it's weird how much like I talked about like things coming out of people's butts, and I'm I'm about to say how much fun I. 
And maybe it's because I had no idea what I was in for, and I was expecting an entirely different tone. I mean, maybe. And I was like, oh, boy. Yeah, like, I don't have the same reverie for this movie that I do for Maximum Overdrive, but I've seen Maximum Overdrive, like, like every summer for the last 30 years, <laughs> you know? Like, I watch that movie a lot. It's been a while since I've, I've revisited Dreamcatcher. I will say uh, Damian Lewis's performance as Jonesy slash Mr. Gray is pretty great. You know, like, when he just dons that fake British accent, and he's like, I'm evil now, and I can use these eyebrows I was born so, with. Oh, he's actually British. Oh, is he? She is. Oh, that was fun. the first thing I checked when it ended. <laughs> you needed to know? Because I was like, did he bring that to the role? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I, I love that they made him the villain in this movie because I never take him... I never trust him anytime I see him anywhere in a movie. I'm like, ooh, that guy's going to be a bad guy, right? Yeah, he's got a whole, like, Hank Scorpio vibe. <laughs> Hank Scorpio vibe. Yes. You just you think gingers are evil. I, I guess, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Up at the old hammock district. Is it weird that I'm going to say that Maximum Overdrive is mo- a more coherent film? Right? Cocaine ha- it gives you some focus. <laughs> you know, like, at least with Oxycontin, you're just a puddle, you know? I knew what to expect with those trucks. <laughs> yeah, because it's going to be, oh, fuck, yeah. Oh yeah, that's that's all it is. Like that half the screenplay is just it is just somebody writing like so cool. This happens, yeah. Oh boy. Okay, John, you got to give me your rating. What's your rating in Dreamcatcher? Ooh, boo, 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 boo. dang, two out of four. Do yeah, it. I'm gonna go two out of four as yeah. well. It's got it makes some mistakes. <laughs> like it, it just like no, all the I, Donnie Wahlberg stuff too. I'm just like, oh. they're just decisions. <laughs> yeah. It made it made decision. It the it made it made up its mind and it committed and it did all the things that it did and we watched them. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing though, and that's my review. <laughs> if you uh, if you had a polled me coming out of the movie theater when I saw this, I was probably I probably would have been like, oh, four out of five, so good. What do you? Yeah, great, love it. <laughs> Words. <laughs> Another banger from the king. <laughs> How does he do it? <laughs> But that's just our opinion. Let us know what you thought of Stephen King's Maximum Overdrive and Dreamcatcher. Hit us up on Twitter at NOFS Podcast or in the Nightmare on Film Street Discord, which you can find at nofspodcast.com slash discord. If you've been a fan of Nightmare on Film Street for a while and you want to join our super exclusive Fiend Club... Head over to nofspodcast.com slash club for just a couple bucks a month. You can support the entire Nightmare on Film Street team, including John, myself, and our entire contributing staff. And you'll get exclusive access to watch parties, events, and game nights. There's also swag, merch discounts, and a super cool membership card with temporary tattoos and stickers. It's a real fun membership pack. Check that out at nofspodcast.com slash club. But until next time, I'm John. I'm Kim. Stay Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive, but we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends.
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.